Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. And today I have with me my guest, Dr. Kathleen M. Rasmussen. Dr. Rasmussen, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. It's good to be back. Uh, I I enjoyed our last show together. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those of you who don't know her, Dr. Rasmussen is the Nancy Schlegel Menning Professor of Maternal and Child Nutrition and International Professor of Nutritional Science at Cornell. An internationally known researcher in maternal and child nutrition, she earned her Doctorate of Science in Nutrition from Harvard. She has led research establishing interventions to improve maternal nutritional status and how it can increase milk volume and improve its composition, thus improving infant nutritional status. Her work shows that being overweight at conception is a risk for problems establishing and maintaining breastfeeding, which is what we're going to talk about today, and that there's a trade-off between the needs of pregnant lactating mothers and those of her fetus or breastfed infant. Current research is on human milk expression to meet goals. Among the awards she has received for her major contributions to pregnancy and lactation studies are the Agnes Higgins Award and the Macy Gorgie Award, which is from the International Society of Research on Human Milk and Lactation. These are hefty awards, trust me. So, uh, thank you so much for coming again. Uh, I was very intrigued with your article, and I know that you did it a while ago, but I'm I, I'm very intrigued with this, partly because I am massively rewriting my comprehensive uh, lactation course, and I found that people get kind of goofed up with which hormone does what and under what circumstance and so forth. So I've been trying to make that clearer, and in so doing, I realized that people really need a better understanding of prolactin. Now, we all know that prolactin is a hormone that's primarily responsible for the milk making. As I tell my students, pro is for and lactin is milk, so that's easy to remember. But we also know that different women respond differently to this hormone, especially if they're obese. So can you help us to understand why obesity affects the prolactin response? Okay, so the women aren't responding to prolactin. Their bodies are responding to the stimulation of nursing by producing prolactin. And then prolactin yes. directs yes. the breast, the uh, mammary tissue to you make more milk. milk. Right. Thank you. Yes, you're right. Yes. Um, so what we know about this subject Um, comes from studies primarily of obese men. And the situation is, of course, not breastfeeding, it's eating. 
And when you eat, your body makes a response in prolactin. It kicks up the prolactin level. Now, why it does that, I personally can't tell you. That's buried somewhere long ago and far away in my brain. Okay. Um, This has been studied, as I say, primarily in men and not in women, where it's particularly, um, and it's, it's, um, the response to a given meal is less in heavier men than it is in lighter men. So we asked the question, well, what about breastfeeding? Breastfeeding produces an enormous prolactin response. Each episode of breastfeeding produces a large prolactin response, particularly in the um, first couple of weeks and months of lactation. And um, during that period, um, when the woman breastfeeds, she gets a big prolactin response. It directs milk production. So we asked, if the woman was obese, did that affect her prolactin response to this stimulus, the stimulus of breastfeeding? Breastfeeding. And lo and behold, when women were heavier as opposed, so this was heavier women, overweight and obese compared to women who were normal weight, indeed, the prolactin response to a given episode of nursing was lower. Now, we did this very early in the postpartum period when prolactin is required to get the process going. Later on in lactation, prolactin is thought to be permissive. That is to say, it's not absolutely required. And over time, the prolactin response to suckling goes down rather dramatically. In each case, there's a response, but the response is less and less. Now, of course, over a considerable period, women are making less milk and less production needs to be um, elicited. But it seems like the body gets more responsive to the prolactin, so less is needed to produce the the production response that's required. So... As I understand it, and I will admit I'm having a little bit of trouble following, in in these heavier women, I think what you're saying is that the prolactin levels that are in their blood are lower than they would be in a normal woman. Am I getting this right? After they have had a suckling episode. Uh, Episode, yes. yes. I'm not talking about their basic levels. I'm just talking about the response to suckling. Right, right, right. Okay, yes. All right. So, as you've explained, lactation is very, very much regulated by hormones during that early period. And that doesn't mean that hormones aren't important later. They certainly are. But they're especially important in that early period. So, then I think that you're saying that these lower um, levels of prolactin during the suckling episode uh, is, am I understanding this right, is related to their milk production. What I'm saying is that it could potentially be related to their milk production. In the okay. stu- in th- There is no study, to my knowledge, in which the prolactin response to suckling and the immediate subsequent milk production has been measured. Yeah, and that's an important point. So what so, we're doing, we're trying to ask the question, we we know that women who are heavier seem to have more trouble um, breastfeeding for a whole variety of reasons that we can discuss. 
And so one of the questions is, is this biological or does it relate to the social, cultural support milieu in which the women lives? And so one of the biological possibilities is prolactin. And what I can tell you is prolactin does what you would expect it to do um, in obese, in heavier compared to lighter women, as you could see in heavier compared to lighter men if you're using a different stimulus. It does that, but that does not mean it's, it's responsible for production because we have not got that in the same place. Mm. Now, I can tell you heavier women stop sooner than lighter weight women. Yes, they do. Yes, they And do. the primary reason women around the world give for stopping at any BMI value is insufficient milk. Yes. So you have to think maybe it's related to milk volume, but the data that would be required for me to tell you that's absolutely true, I do not think exist. Wow. Yeah. Because I, I think that there's a fair amount of literature that show that heavier women will stop breastfeeding earlier, as you've just said. But I have also seen that in clinical practice. There's no question in my mind but what that is the case. But I think you're also saying this link between the prolactin response and the milk uh, insufficiency is not clear. Am I getting it? That's right. It's yeah. not a, It's yeah. not established. It's yeah. possible, but possible. it's not established. Yeah, and that's the mistake that some of us make. And I will tell you that as a largely clinical person, I always feel sort of drawn into that. And yet I know that there's a big difference between what somebody's serum, whatever, in this case prolactin is, and what the result is. Mm-hmm. So I guess one of the questions I would ask is, is there anything that the mother can do to increase her prolactin response? I don't think we have any direct test of that. Yeah. So you have to remember when the mother is nursing, she's putting her baby to her breast. That baby is not a standardized baby. So I can't (laughs) guarantee you that the heavy baby at the breast, the, the baby of the heavier woman at the breast is providing the same stimulus as the perhaps lighter baby of the lighter mother. Right. I, I can't tell you that. And, of course, they do cross over some. Heavier yeah. women have lighter babies and lighter yeah. women have heavier babies. So, But it's not a standard baby. So um, I can't tell you that pump more would help. It's certainly something that has been tried and didn't seem to work. Yeah. And part of the reason it doesn't work is that when you're a heavier woman and you have the attributes of a heavier woman – that is to say, you may have had a cesarean delivery, yeah. you may have large breasts, you may have yeah. trouble positioning the baby to nurse. Adding pumping is just too much. It may not help for reasons that are unrelated to prolactin. It may not help because it's just too complex. Well, and we also know that the pump is not does not provide the same kind of stimulus as the baby. It's not... It's not warm, it's not direct, it's, I'm not sure if I know all the words to that, but um, and it certainly is less likely to evoke e- uh, that lovely emotional feeling as well. 
So it seems like there's a lot of factors in here. Uh, I want to be able to go to break, but on the other side of the break, I want to talk a little bit more about some of these other factors because it seems to me that it's not just put somebody on the scale and there's your answer. It is, as you've started to to say, some of these other factors that uh, we also need to revisit as well. Hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm here today with Dr. Kathy Rasmussen, and we will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash donor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. 
You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm to here today with Dr. Kathy Brasmussen, and we're talking about the prolactin response and its implication as related to obese women. Dr. Rasmussen, in your study, were there any uh, were any of the women diabetic? Not to our knowledge. Okay, because we know that there is a relationship between uh, diabetes and obesity, certainly. Uh, y- yes, but di- women with diabetes can breastfeed, and most of the women, the pregnant women with diabetes, have gestational diabetes. Yes. And lactation in women who had gestational diabetes, well, first of all, once she gives birth, that usually um, is relieved. And the uh, stimulus of breastfeeding greatly reduces her insulin requirements. So women who may have been on insulin during pregnancy uh, to deal with their gestational diabetes often find themselves off of insulin. Yes, they do. Yes, thankfully. Yes. In your study, did you look at what other inter- at how interventions? Uh, you mentioned, for example, the cesarean section. Did you control for that, uh, as well as something I've observed, which is often with the, these uh, situations, the baby gets to breast later rather than sooner. Uh, we know that that affects um, milk production, whether or not it pro- uh, affects prolactin. Now, that's probably another story, but. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, anything that um, might play into this whole idea here? Well, first of all, the study that we did is too small for us to be able to talk about controlling for this or that. And I don't, it it was long enough ago now that I don't remember our exact enrollment criteria, but I expect we didn't take women who'd had a cesarean delivery. Ah, okay. So... What we can understand is if you look at a woman who is normal weight and she has a a group of women, they're all normal weight, they all have equal desire to breastfeed, and some of them have a cesarean delivery and some of them don't. The ones who've had a cesarean delivery will often have more trouble getting breastfeeding started, and that's for a lot of reasons. It's pain. Mm -hmm. It's... um, no magic hour to breastfeed the baby, it's separation of mother and infant, it's drugs, um, it's the inconvenience of all the things that goes with a cesarean delivery. So that's in a normal weight woman. Right. In a woman who is too heavy, this surgery is much more problematic, and the heavier she is, the more problematic it is. So you might imagine that a woman who has one challenge that is her BMI as well as another challenge now, a cesarean delivery, she has more of a risk of um, either not starting at all or quitting very early. Yes, yes. And we haven't even uh, talked about what I have noticed, which is the whole body image thing. Now that's a that's a major issue. Yeah. Because of yeah. the culture in which we live. Absolutely. Um it has a number of attributes. Um one is what nurses told us as we did the study we were just talking about and that is 
women who are heavier just don't want the public to see their abdomens. They're not worried about their breasts. They're worried about their abdomens. Okay, so they want to stay covered up. Um, another issue is that women who are heavier have more difficulty positioning the baby for a lack of a lap. They do. Um, they often have larger breasts. That compounds the problem. So to be able to position the baby correctly, they often have to be really quite exposed. And that makes breastfeeding in public, whether the public is at home in your house <laughs> or the public is out at the shopping mall. Right. This makes right. it more difficult for um, a heavier woman to be comfortable in maintaining her breastfeeding relationship with her child. Yeah, and the other piece to that is that just from the standpoint of clothing or covering up or whatever the word would be, there is just plain more body tissue to be covered up. And this is a woman who doesn't want to be exposed. Well, I I mean, many of us don't want to be exposed, but um, (laughs) there's just plain more body tissue and... uh, that ha- that does, as you say, uh, compound the problem for sure. Uh, also, this is probably just some research jargon, but for people who get confused when they're reading research, uh, especially as related to this uh, prolactin response, can you explain to us what blunting is? This is not a word that I'm as familiar with as I should be, I guess. Uh, well, this is straight up research jargon. <laughs> So if you compare the prolactin response um, that you, so when a woman breastfeeds, the amount of prolactin, the concentration of prolactin in her blood rises. It makes this sharp peak on a graph. And if you have a, so that's a normal weight woman. If you have a woman who's heavier, that sharp peak isn't as tall and maybe it's a little wider. And we describe the relationship as as the second one is blunted compared to the first one. It means it's less less big. That the response is there, but the it response is, is present, but it's less dramatic, less large, less sharp. Okay. All righty. Um, you mention here also in your study, you talk about the progesterone. Mm-hmm. And then you say this, in turn, would lead to delay in reaching the appropriate concentration to trigger the onset of lactogenesis 2. Mm-hmm. We tested the hypothesis that a reduced prolactin response to suckling and higher than normal progesterone concentrations in the first week after delivery might be among the means by which maternal overweight could compromise early lactation. Uh, can you say a little more about that? Well, um, when a woman is pregnant, she has quite a high progesterone value. And when she delivers uh, the placenta, her uh, she no longer has um, a body organ that is pumping out so much project- progesterone. So progesterone declines quite rapidly over the first few days. That decline in progesterone is associated with night sweats, with loss of some of the fluid that she's accumulated, and it's part of the pattern of hormonal changes that permits the body to say, okay, let's make milk, Um, because some of the things that are inhibiting the making of milk 
which is the dance between placental lactogen and progesterone during pregnancy and the lack of progesterone and the presence of prolactin during lactation, that dance has changed and all of a sudden she can make milk. I love your analogy of that dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you also talk about this bit here between the 48 hours and the day seven. And I think that what you just said partly explains that. You talk about the women with a um, body mass index, BMI, of greater than 26, which of course puts people in either the uh, overweight category or the obese category. Uh, You say that for these women, before conception had a lower prolactin response to suckling than normal weight women at 48 hours, but not at day seven. Mm -hmm. So part of that is, of course, their bodies are able to catch up. You have time. The effects of the immediate stress of delivery and the ability of the mom and the baby to get on the same uh, schedule with making milk and consuming milk, um, all of that is more resolved at seven days than it is at two or three days. There's one other thing I want uh, wanted to mention, though, back to the question about progesterone. Mm-hmm. Um, women who are heavier have more body fat. That's no surprise. That's right. one of the tissues that's larger. And um, the body fat produces progesterone. So when um, a lighter woman delivers her placenta, her progesterone crashes to a low level. When a heavier woman delivers her placenta, her placenta, also, her progesterone also goes down, but it doesn't go down to such a low level because she has more body fat. Oh, wow. I did not know that. But that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So we have, we have the, uh, these different things going on. In the, we have both the prolactin and the progesterone changing, and they are changing Uh, with pregnancy to lactation and they change over the early course of lactation so it's a it's complicated i wish i could draw a picture for your audience (laughs) it's really quite dramatic but um so there are a lot of hormonal factors operating at this time Ashley, Dr. Rasmussen, i think it is a real blessing that we get to talk with a researcher in a way that helps us to understand that study. And by that, I mean, there are so many professionals who might not have ever had a research course. And even for those of us who have, we tend to look at that study and we struggle a little bit. It's Mm -hmm. a great blessing to be able to talk with the researcher herself and say, hey, can you explain this? And uh, it's it's really great that you can kind of break this down for us in ways that, quite honestly, we might not have broken down uh, ourselves. Uh, however, don't go away. For all of you who are interested, I am looking at this study, which is called Pre-Pregnant Overweight and Obesity Diminish the Prolactin Response to Suckling in the First Week Postpartum. And Dr. Rasmussen is the uh lead researcher with another researcher whose name I cannot pronounce. Coleheed. Coleheed. Chris, Chris Coleheed. Yes. Uh, that's a 
Danish last name. The only parts of it are pronounced. Uh, <laughs> yes. I always stumble with those the most. Hey, everybody, don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. 
To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with researcher Dr. Kathleen Rasmussen. And she and her colleague, and I'm sure other colleagues as well, were uh, in some way uh, supportive to her study about pre-pregnant overweight and obesity and its relationship to uh, the prolactin response. So, Dr. Rasmussen, as I understand it, the pretty much you're the only one that has looked at this prolactin response. And it is my understanding that since your study, nobody else has really done anything else along those lines that either confirms or refutes your study. Is that correct? To my knowledge, I haven't done a thorough literature search, but I can tell you people are still citing this paper. So. Yeah. <laughs> It must be uh, at least part of what there is um, available. It's lactation as research as a is kind of a niche area for research. It's not well funded by the federal government. Uh, it hasn't been well funded by the government for a long time a long now. Time. Yeah. So um, it's difficult to get money to to study it. So I can't tell you that for absolute certain, but. Um, it's not something people have been studying. It's not so easy to study because you have to study the nursing bout and you have to have the, the methods available to um, measure the, the responses rather rapidly and women have to be willing to do this. And women are willing to participate in research studies in a lot of ways, but this isn't one of their favorite ways to do it. I think you probably got something there. I want to go off script for just a moment here because you are not the first researcher that has ever told me that getting money to uh, fund breastfeeding studies is not easy from the government. Okay, mm-hmm. but my question is the government has been pushing breastfeeding for several years now. Can you at least speculate as to why it's so hard to get money for it? I mean, I realize it's not cancer, but have you got any thoughts about this? Well, first of all, people aren't dying from breastfeeding. Right. They die from not breastfeeding. And the part of the government that encourages women to breastfeed is the Centers for Disease Control, right. which is part of the Department of Health and Human Services. And the part of the government that funds research, the primary part of it is the National Institutes of Health. They also happen to be part of the Department of Health and Human Services. But they're not talking very much to one another when it comes to this subject. Um, The number of researchers worldwide who really focus on lactation as a process and breastfeeding as a concern, as a... um, biological concern or something you might do an intervention about is relatively small. We're talking about a couple of hundred. Mm. So, and when you send an application for research support into NIH, they have a, the National Institutes of Health, they have a process by which they review it, and they have reviewers. And they, because it's such a small group of researchers and it has 
created so much less interested interest than, say, pregnancy. Um, and of course, it's about women, and women aren't quite so interesting as men as research subjects. For reasons we could discuss over um, an alcoholic beverage. I, I don't see that. That's a three beer story. Yeah, definitely. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you have to have people who are, are prepared to or qualified to review it. And as I say, the community is very small and it just has not been a priority. And there is there are moves afoot to change that, particularly to learn more about the composition of human milk because we need to know that to revise the dietary reference intakes Mm -hmm. and to create dietary guidelines for Americans for young children. Um, But it hasn't brought any more money into the um, National Institute for Child Health and Human Development yet. So stay tuned. That is hugely interesting because truly, you are not the only person that has ever come on this show and said, well, you know, we really can't get funded for whatever. And I hear this from time to time and I'm thinking, all right, I just can't really get that together in my head. But as you explain it, I'm thinking, uh, yeah, I guess I sort of am getting it, unfortunately. Uh, I I wish it were different, but whoa. Um, but you also have to understand that as a society, we are very focused on the baby. Yes, we are. And any pregnant woman can tell you that the moment she delivers, she goes from the star of the party yep. to just another guest. Yep. yep. And that's where women's health is right now. And breastfeeding is all about women's health, even though... It also supports child's health. And the kinds of questions you're asking me all relate to the woman part of this issue. Right, right, right. I'm, I'm seeing that. And I, as, I, as I hear you talking, I'm thinking about my own role having been a labor and delivery nurse. Yeah, pretty much as soon as the baby is out, I'm focused on the baby. Right. And oh, by the way, if everything is all well and good with the baby, then oh, by the way, I can get focused on the mother. Mm-hmm. But or if and, mother collapses, you'll pay attention. You'll know, be absolutely yes. <laughs> but you're—I just really never thought about it that way. But it is true. She has gone from being the star of the party to just another guest. Mm-hmm. Even in my own care delivery, I, I mean, I can see myself walking around that room and. Um, yeah, that was pretty insightful. Well, anyway, uh, apparently nobody else has done any of this research since your study. You have not done any since then as related to the prolactin response. No, but I um, We've done a lot of other things that, yeah. that complement it because what we, were, what we were trying to find out, so let, let me take your listeners back, our Our observations began in animals, um, and we then tried to test to see in human subjects. We did this through a medical records review. If women who were heavier were equally likely to ever put the baby to to the breast to nurse and equally likely and would nurse for equal periods of time, we found that heavier women did not do that. So what we wanted to know then was, was there a biological reason or was this all the socio-cultural, sociocultural environment in the United States? So one of the ways we explored, is there a biological relationship? Is the study we've been spending 
um, time now talking about. But we aren't the only ones who've studied this period. The other people who have studied this period simply haven't done prolactin response okay. uh, experiments because th- that's what you asked me about. Mm-hmm. But I'll give you an example. Um, the researcher that I'm thinking of is Laurie Numson Rivers. Oh, she's wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who is now at the University of Cincinnati, but um, this was a major study she did with uh, Catherine Dewey at, Dewey. Yep. at uh, UC Davis. So they had a large study of some 400 mothers that they studied in Sacramento, California. And they were all first-time mothers, and they wanted to know how maternal obesity was related to what they called ineffective breastfeeding. And they had a long laundry list. It's like a a two-and-a-half-page table of factors. And really quite a large number of them are related to um, a delayed onset of um, lactogenesis 2 or secretory activation. The milk is late coming in. And that leads to babies who lose weight and doctors who get anxious and mothers who are distressed. And it reflects the time it takes to get the whole system going. And part of what we were observing in heavier women was that there was a delayed onset. And we didn't have a large study in which we observed that, but this study from Sacramento, which was published um, in 2010, about six years after ours, uh, after the one we've just been talking about, gives all kinds of characteristics of mothers that are associated with later start, women who are older, women who aren't insured. So one of those is biological, one isn't. Women who have a higher BMI, we've been talking about that. Women who had a cesarean delivery. Um, Women who needed uh, labor augmentation. Women who had a larger baby. Um, Women who had more severe edema. Women who had nipple pain. It goes on. So you can see that there are a whole constellation of factors in addition to obesity as one of them, some of which are related, it may be that older women are more likely to be heavier. Right. They're also more likely for lactation not to get going very well if they haven't breastfed previously or haven't had a, a pre- or previous pregnancy. Um, so all of these things add up to a, a challenge to a, a woman who's heavier and who may have any any number of these other factors involved, some of which are biological and some of which are clearly not. Well, that is interesting. Uh, and I would say for any of those who have not uh, read the study that is um, Nomson Rivers and Kathy Dewey, uh, Kathleen Dewey, K. Dewey, excuse me, yeah, um, they have done much work together, and I don't have that one under my fingertips right at the moment, but I can tell you that that is one that I go back to over and over for all of the reasons that she's just said. It's a, it's a long laundry list to help us to better understand. Um, any other in- interventions that you would like to address? Well, people have tried... A number of things in this in this situation. Here you have a woman who's heavier. What do you do? Yeah. So you can try um, 
a number of different things. Uh, we tried two of them. Well, I think we you could say we tried three of them. None of them worked. But the three things we tried were limiting the entourage that appears oh, in the room yeah. of um, yeah. a newly delivered woman so that she would have some private time to breastfeed and mm-hmm. some opportunity to receive lactation consultant services. We tried providing post-discharge um, telephone con- consultation uh, between yep. the time she delivered, the time she left the hospital and the time she came back for the first prenatal visit, which is just a couple of days. But a lot of women quit then. Yes, they do. Um, we also tried adding pumping. That didn't work. Um, people have tried um, oh, doing things like having women gain less weight while they're pregnant or um, trying to ameliorate some of the effects of um Cesarean delivery, adding extra lactation counselor time during the hospital stay. So a variety of things that you might think would be helpful have not turned out to be very helpful. But all of these studies are to a greater or lesser extent a bit hamstrung by uh, not really strong enough uh, preliminary data, or in some cases, they're just too small to be definitive. Sure. But they're, none of them are pointing in a direction of success, um, which yeah, is, is pretty discouraging. Yeah, that's kind of the feeling I'm getting is like, ooh, okay. And in the U.S., we really have two challenges that are they're colliding with one another of a population, even of relatively young Mother, young women, because that's who becomes pregnant, who are heavier than they have been historically. Mm-hmm. We have a higher proportion of women who have decided breast is best for their baby and they want to breastfeed. And we have a higher proportion of mothers who need to be in the labor force than, and lack adequate maternity leave and adequate child care. So all of that is really hard for breastfeeding. Sure. Um, and we, also, and we also have a medical care system that's rather insensitive to lactation in a newly delivered woman who is really too heavy. Mm-hmm. This is a, from a study one of my doctoral students, um, Dr. Christine Garner, did for her research in which she followed uh, over time a group of pregnant women, half of whom were normal weight and half of whom were heavier than that, either overweight or obese, and uh, and BMI. And she um, had a couple of them who had BMI values that were quite high. They were over 50. Oh, and whoa. the stories for these women were really um, very challenging. They had cesarean deliveries. They had a rough course afterwards. It was hard for them to breastfeed for all the reasons we've been talking about, about the body shape and size and the props that you need. And as part of this study, as I say, she talked to women, but the other part of her dissertation was to talk to healthcare providers. And what she found from talking to the healthcare providers is that they didn't think a woman was overweight until she was 100 pounds overweight. Oh, good grief. And by the time she's 100 pounds overweight, she has severe obesity. Yes. Yes, yes. And she may have other metabolic problems. 
a cesarean delivery is highly problematic in terms of the wound incision and its healing. And the, they just see the large body and don't think that she has the same desire to breastfeed as other people do, other women do, that she it's just as important to her. And she is capable of being successful with adequate support. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so it's a very it's a very discouraging situation. Yeah. Oh wow. Well I I hate to end on a discouraging note, but I do want to remind everybody that uh, we have wonderful researchers out there like Dr. Rasmussen. We've also uh, mentioned some others today as well who are out there and really trying to get the answers. Clearly, there are a lot of things that have gone unanswered, but it's been very enlightening to have with us today uh, Dr. Kathleen Rasmussen. Dr. Rasmussen, thank you so much for being with us. It's my pleasure. And for all of you who are wondering if you can do it, Yes, you can, as she says, with adequate support. And in the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week... Do its best for you and your baby. 